You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. The passage for today's sermon is found in Romans 8, 1 through 6. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. This is the word of the Lord. So like I said, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. And just some background, just so we're kind of aware of what's going on when Paul is writing. So he's writing to the church in Rome, right? Romans, Rome. So he's writing to them. And this is a place that he hasn't visited visited yet, right? Like other places, other churches that he has written to or is writing to, he has been there and he knows the situation of what is going on in that church, right? So he's saying like, oh, this church is going through this, so I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to address the issues that are going on in this church. But this is a place where he hadn't really visited yet. Um, And then the book of Romans is where we see this evident theme or one of the bigger themes is the subject of the gospel, so it, what we see what it looks like to believers, what they were going through in that day, and how it applies to us today this morning. <clears throat> so before we read chapter 8, I promise this is going to be pretty brief, but I want to read chapter 7 like I mentioned, just kind of go through it so we're aware of what Paul is talking about in chapter 8. We're going to go through chapter 7, and it says this. Or do you know not, or not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound to the law, uh, to her husband, while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So that's the example he gives. He says, likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the fresh flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? Was the law a sin? By no means. Yet if we had not been, or yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. 
the very commandment that promised life provided death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin may be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good, so that now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what <laughs> I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So if, I, so if I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That is a long passage. But Paul is building up to something, right? He is not repeating just because whenever, well, some of you are still in college. Whenever we're in college and we have a certain amount of words to fill up an essay, we find the longest way to fill up that page, right? We don't use contractions. We don't say don't. We say do not or I have never, like just all these different things. But he's trying to drive a point home, right? He's trying to make sure that these people understand what he is saying, right? It's not just to fill up a page and a letter, but he's talking about sin and how sin leads to death and how even he, whenever he wants to do the right thing, cannot, and he could not fulfill the law and then how it led to death and he knew what was right, but then at the same time, there's this balance, right? He's not saying that the law itself is evil. He's saying that he is evil, his flesh is evil, and that is what is leading him to sin, not the law itself. In fact, he says the law brought to light what he should do, what he should follow. And because of that, he was made more aware of his sin, but again, was not able to fulfill the law, was not able to do what he was supposed to do, no matter how much he wanted, no matter how much he tried, he could not do the things that he wanted to do because of his flesh. And honestly, that's where our story should end, right? That should be like, well, let's wrap this up. That's it for this Sunday. We're all sinners. We all deserve death. Let's go home. But it's not because if we look, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then again, he says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We are in this constant struggle. And that is all of us with different sins, with different things that are going on in our lives. If we are 100% honest, we are all dealing with something. 
it gets better. There's, there's hope. Let me get to the next thing. <laughs> that sounded too, uh, too intense. So Paul is being very transparent, very transparent. This was a letter that he was writing. People were going to read this. People were going to listen to this. And he was talking about himself, right, his own situation, what he had gone through. Very transparent. I don't know if any of us, probably not most of us, would come up here and be like, this is what I'm going through. This is the most difficult thing of my life. Listen to this because that's embarrassing. That's scary, right? We think like, oh, people are going to see me in a different light. But he is bearing, being very transparent, very vulnerable, very honest in the same way that we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with the condition of our own hearts, right? We need to be honest with ourselves because if not, we can be blinded by the sin in our lives. And that's a fact. <clears throat> so we need to be able to be honest with ourselves about the things that we are feeling, the things that we are going through. That way someone that is walking with the Lord, someone that has gone through what we are going through, is able to help us, is able to help guide us towards Christ, point us towards Christ, pray for us. You know, <clears throat> so we need to be honest about the desires of our own heart. Sometimes speaking things out, hearing what is going on really shows us the situation that we are really in. Whenever we're talking to someone and you say exactly what you're feeling, you're like, man, I did not know I was feeling that. Or like, oh, I did not know I was struggling with this. Or I didn't know how intense or how bad, like, my situation was. And this makes me think of King David, right? And in 2 Samuel, I'm going to read this real quick. It's not up there. But it says, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there are two men in a certain city. The, the one rich and the other poor, the man had very many flocks of herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew it with him and his children. And it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. So he, Nathan's basically explaining this story to David, who we all know had uh, slept with Bathsheba and like sent her husband to the front lines, basically murdered him, may, not basically murdered him. And then all this is going on. And then, you know, David gets so upset. He's so angry. He's like, what? This man needs to be brought to justice. This is unfair. This is not right. And then verse seven, Nathan says to David, you are that man. And then that's whenever it really hits him, Right. Because he wasn't comparing this story to his situation. He was, he was thinking it was a real story, something that was really going on. And he saw how unjust, how wicked this person was. But he did not equate it to his situation. He did not relate it to his own situation until it was brought to him like this. And he realized the gravity of what he had done, the seriousness of what he had done. Right? And then at the end of that, it just talks about... Uh, the consequences of that sin in his life, in his family. In fact, that, you know, like the little titles that go in the different sections, like the very next one is like the death of David's son, like immediately, right? So there were consequences to that. But like this, sometimes we are blinded to our own sin. We need to be very aware of our sinful nature. We need to be very honest about where we are, where we stand in front of God, where we are in our walk with Christ, and that's not always easy, being that honest because it means that there's work to do. 
And a lot of the times that is very tiring. Not a lot of times. All the time that's tiring. But that's a constant work. But the cool thing is we don't do it alone. And that's what we're going to look at in chapter 8. I promise I'm building up to something. Paul was building up to something. I'm building up to something. It's not all just like bad news. <laughs> but we're going somewhere with this. So <clears throat> I guess another situation, another example with that is I have this really good friend that I went to college with. So like, it's who we surround ourselves with too, right? Who we surround ourselves with. Are we surrounding ourselves with godly people? Are we surrounding ourselves with people that will call us out whenever we're doing something that is wrong? Or are we keeping all of, the, all of these things, all of these sins to ourselves? And I had a friend in college, really cool guy, um, that made music. He still makes music, but he made music and he would always ask all of his friends for advice. Like there were a ton of people that know way more about music than I do that like are actual musicians that are like into producing that have like recorded stuff. But he would always ask me as well. But I remember on one occasion he made like a big group text, right? And then he said like, hey, this is my like two, three singles from this upcoming album. I want you guys to listen to it. And everybody in that group text was like, yeah, man, that's really good. The best. This is going to be like number one on Billboard, like all these things. And then I was like, oh, this isn't your best work. <laughs> like not in the group text. I didn't embarrass him. But like he texted me separately. He was like, hey, what do you think? And I was like, man, I'm going to be honest. Like you had a few songs on your last album that were really good. And I think if you follow that direction, like, I think you got something, right? But like this, it doesn't feel like you. It feels different. And like, <laughs> was also honest, like, you're a really good producer, right? I was taught to like sandwich like uh, the bad part in the middle. So like a compliment, the like harsh thing that you have to say. And then at the end, another compliment says so like, but you're a really good producer. And he was, man, he was such a good producer. He ended up like moving to LA for a few months or a year maybe a year, and all he did was, like, freelance producing for artists, and, like, he just followed his dream, and it's really cool, but I feel like if he were in the situation where he was surrounded by yes men, right, that are like, yeah, that's good, yeah, that's good, and not being honest with him, I don't know where he'd be today. He's still out there making music. He's doing good, but, like, that is the same thing for our spiritual walk. We can't surround ourselves with people that are like, yes, you're right, whenever we know that we are wrong, or whenever they know that we are wrong. And I think that's what Nathan was for David on this occasion, right? He did not let him continue living in sin. He called it out. He made him aware of it in the same way we need to surround ourselves with people like that. <clears throat> and then in verse 12, I didn't read it, but it says, for you did it secretly, but I do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. Sin embarrasses us. I have this friend that would always tell me whenever I was messing up, that the sin that you do in secret, the enemy exposes it to the light to embarrass you. And that was one of the moments where I started being more open or with people that I trust about my struggles, about what I'm going through. Because I feel like if you're able to talk about it before it gets out of control, if you're able to have someone praying for you, checking up on you before it gets out of control, that is one of the most helpful things. Because <clears throat> what we read at the beginning there is no condemnation, but that does not mean that I have the liberty to live however I want. And we're going to talk on that a bit more here in a second. So even though we have been forgiven, there are still consequences to our sin. You know, there were consequences for David, 
We have this family friend that is a missionary, and she grew up in South Texas. And whenever she was very young, maybe 12, 13, she got into drugs. Um, she had maybe, I think, three or four different kids, but then went to prison for years and years and years. So basically, like, abandoned her children because of that, and they were all alone. They suffered so much. They went through abuse. They went from home to home, like, relative to relative, did not know anything. She, like, comes out of, or in prison. She gets to know Christ. She starts preaching in the prison. Um, she, like, gets out and goes to uh, a Bible school and starts studying and then becomes this missionary and she's out there preaching and if you meet her today she will talk to you about Jesus she is not embarrassed she is not ashamed like we've gone to restaurants where it's like oh where's she at and then she's like in some corner somewhere praying for someone like she is not ashamed she is doing great things for Jesus like all the time but the relationship with her daughters is still strained because of the consequence of her sin Right? She got into drugs. She was in prison for so long that that relationship was non-existent for most of their lives. And there is still that consequence. And even though she is fully dedicated to Christ, there are still consequences to that. And I'm not saying that God can't work in that. He is still working on reestablishing those relationships. But the consequences to that, the consequences to her choices are still there. And that's why Paul is like, this is sin. Like, he's pointing it out. Like, this is why it's so important that we are aware of our sin, that we are honest about our sin, because <clears throat> it is such a slippery slope. It's never, <laughs> it's never just like out of nowhere. It's never all of a sudden, right? It starts with an idea that I entertain for long enough for it to become a desire in my heart. The desire, then I pursue that desire, and I put myself in situations and places around people where that desire becomes a temptation. I play into that temptation until it becomes a sin. I play into the sin until it consumes me, and then it controls my life, and it leads me away from God. It blinds me. I hurt everyone that I love. I hurt the people around me. It leads to spiritual death, and all along the way, it all started with one idea, right, that I could have stopped right there. There's like a whole process at any point before it was a full blown out sin that leads to death. We could have stopped it at any part of the process. We could have stopped that desire in its tracks, that thought in its tracks. So sin is very real. And like David, I can be blinded to my own sin. Pretend my situation isn't bad as it really is. Sin is a reality of this fallen, broken world. But and here's the good news. <laughs> But because of what Jesus did on the cross, it no longer has a hold on us. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is hope. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, there is forgiveness. Because of what Jesus did, though we were dead in our sins, there is, that is no longer the case because he brought us from death to life. We have a choice because of what Jesus did. There is no condemnation. <clears throat> and normally I'd make a joke about saying like, oh, and that was my intro. I'm really like, I'm almost done. But this time it's not a joke. <laughs> it's really my intro. <laughs> um, last night for work, I was at an event um, at a Spanish church and it was a three hour service. So either today's gonna be 30 minutes or three hours. We'll just see, we'll see where this goes. I'm kidding, it's not gonna be that long. 
But now we're getting into the good stuff. So Romans chapter 8. So like I said, Paul talking about sin, explaining what it is, explaining the dangers of sin. And even he himself, right, Paul, like he wrote so much of the New Testament, did so many great things for God. Is saying like, yeah, this is difficult. This is real. This is something that people are going through. This is something that I'm going through. So he's saying all of this. But then he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the spirit is life of life has set you free in Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, but for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So again, chapter 7, we're seeing sin and how it's prevalent and how we can become captive to sin. But then Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, that's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel is we do deserve death. We do deserve condemnation. We deserve every single consequence of our own sinful nature. And even though we try to live according to the law, we cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own strength. We cannot do it on our own wisdom. But we don't have to. That's what this is saying. We do not have to. We have Jesus Christ. If we're living by his spirit, if his spirit dwells in us, we have what we need to make it through this life. But that's the question is, are we setting our sights on things of the flesh or things of the spirit? One of my favorite things about our walk with Jesus Christ is that there is always room for growth. We're continually learning to trust in him. We're continually learning to be satisfied in him. And we're always learning to be led by the spirit. The town where I went to college had these underground tunnels that were maybe 14, 16 miles, like just spread across. And it wasn't a sewer. So in the 80s, they uh, tried to do some scientific experiment with like a super collider. So they started like making these giant tunnels, but then at some point they abandoned them and like they've been there since the 80s. And then one day I decide I'm gonna go explore these tunnels because I have to, right? Like you find out about tunnels and you're like in your early 20s, what are you gonna do? Wait, never mind. Y'all don't, youth, don't listen to me. <laughs> youth, don't explore random tunnels. <laughs> But I, I mean, I would, I'd probably do it today if I'm being honest. But there's these giant tunnels, 16 miles, um, and I was like, I'm going to explore it. So I go up to one of the entrances, 
and it was downtown. I park my truck and I get out and like I pull my phone out and I think I'm at like 21% and I'm like, that's good. That's fine. 21, it's, the battery's still green, right? Like the little thing, it's not red. Red means bad, green is good, I'm good to go. So I go in and I am, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I'm uh, probably like two miles in and my phone dies. Obviously, right? I was using it as a flashlight. Like, it's going to die sooner than it would have if I wasn't doing that. But I remember my phone dies, and it's pitch black, like, because I was way in there, and I was not scared before. And I knew that it was a possibility, like, beforehand, but even then I wasn't scared. But as soon as it, like, turns off, I was like, oh, I don't know how to get out of here. I don't know how to navigate through this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, and now my phone's dead. So like, I don't know who to contact to be like, hey, I came to the tunnels even though I wasn't supposed to, and now I'm gonna die. So like, I did not know what to do. So the only way out of there, like I couldn't see anything, was to like reach my hand out and like touch the wall of the tunnel and just walk walk through like darkness and just literally just hope and pray to God that I'm going the right direction, that like I am not going like deeper into the tunnels and then like instead of heading, heading out, I mean eventually I feel like I could walk 16 miles and <laughs> make it out, I'm assuming, I don't know, I'll have to try it again. I'll let y'all know how it goes. <laughs> but like, that is how we were living life before Jesus Christ is like, man, we were in complete darkness, just touching the wall, trying to figure out how we were gonna make it through, trying to figure out how we we're gonna make it through our darkest times, trying to figure out how we were gonna make it through our own problems. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that we don't have to. Once we have Jesus Christ, man, we have that light that we need. We have that guidance that we need. We have that hope, that peace that we need in him. And that's, if we grasp this concept, if we're able to understand this, because it took me so long to realize what Jesus really did and what that means for my life. It took me into my adult years, like, how old am I? I'm 30. <laughs> it took me until I was like in my mid-20s to realize, to like really grasp the, the, the weight of what Jesus did on that cross for my life. There is nothing that I or you could do to merit or to earn that salvation, to earn that love, to earn that peace, to be free from condemnation, literally nothing that we could do. And then again, that doesn't mean that we live our lives any way we want to and do whatever we want and come and go as we please, but because we realize what he did for us, because we love him so much, because we're so grateful, because we are living for him, because we we are not living in our flesh, but of the spirit. We trust him. We follow him, right? We serve him. Paul introduces himself at the beginning of Romans as a servant of Christ. That's what we are. And that's almost counterintuitive because we think that being freedom is being able to do whatever we want. But whatever God offers us is way better than this freedom because we're either a slave to sin, a slave to our flesh, a slave to this world, or we're a slave to Christ. And that's where true true freedom is, is in Christ. I'm getting ahead of my notes. <laughs> but that is where true freedom lies, is in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to be like, listen, like all of these things, like we can receive all of this peace. We can have uh, <clears throat> no condemnation in Jesus Christ. But what we have to do is follow him. What we have to do is live for him. Is it hard? Yes, <laughs> but not impossible. 
God isn't presenting us with something that is impossible for us to do because whenever he died on that cross, sin has no grasp on us anymore. It's a choice, right? We get to choose. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And it's not like a disclaimer. Sometimes we have selective hearing or selective reading whenever we're reading scripture. And it's just like, oh, there's no condemnation. No, it's like there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. That's the point. That's the emphasis is for those who are in Jesus Christ. It's not like a fine print, right? That's the whole point. It's not a get out of jail free card. There is a cost. We die to ourselves. We give up our own desires. We become slaves to Christ. Like I said at the beginning, that's how Paul introduces himself, is a servant, in some translations, a slave to Christ. Someone that is fully subordinate to their master. It means that we're not living in habitual sin. We're not living in sin. We're not, meaning like, okay, I don't have a wife, so I can say this. So it's like, oh, I'm cheating on my wife, and I know that I'm going to do it a week from now, but like right now, I'm like, oh, God, forgive me, knowing fully well that my way of life, the things that I'm choosing, I am like doing it, right? It's saying that we give up our desires, our sin, and we receive what God has in store for us. So, sorry. So that's why it's so important for us to check our hearts, for us to be honest with ourselves. And on the other side of that, there is no condemnation. If we have truly repented, if we are living for Christ, if we are living um, in the spirit, there is no condemnation. It doesn't mean less condemnation. It's saying no condemnation. In my lowest moments where I felt most separated from God, It was because of my sin, right? My sin was separating me from God, and I was aware of that, and I made a choice to follow Jesus. And it was difficult, but, like, after that, after I had repented, after I had a changed life, after I was doing my best to fully pursue the Lord, I still felt far away from him. And it took me a while to realize, but it was my shame, right? The shame of my mistakes, the shame of my sin. So now it was no longer my sin separating me, but my guilt separating me after I had been forgiven, after Jesus had already died on the cross. But it was myself separating me from Christ because of that weight, because of the weight of shame. But it is through his death that we have, have life. It is through his spirit that dwells in us that we are free. Charles Spurgeon once said, it is no pleasant task to have to speak of this matter. But who are we that we should ask for pleasant task? What God has in scripture is a sum and substance of what the Lord's servants are to testify to people. If you are not in Jesus Christ and you are walking after the flesh, you have not escaped condemnation. Again, that's why it's so important for us to be honest with ourselves. Because we love the idea of there not being any condemnation, but that's only if we are in Jesus Christ, if we are pursuing him, if we are surrendering everything to him. Sorry. So how do we know that we have the spirit? We can ask ourselves a few questions. Is the spirit leading us to Jesus? Has the spirit put a desire in you to honor God? Are we being led to be more like Christ? Is the spirit at work in our hearts? 
because in chapter, or verse 12 says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit you put, or, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit are sons of God. For did you not receive the spirit of, or for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Again, it does not shy away from the fact that we will suffer just as Christ suffered. But man, the good news is that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we do have salvation even though we don't deserve it. He took our place. So we do deserve condemnation. We deserve hell. We deserve all of these horrible things. But Jesus lived a flawless life. And we get to reap the benefits of that flawless life. So where does the Holy Spirit lead us to? He leads us to repentance. He leads us to think little about ourselves and more about Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads us to truth, leads us to love, leads us into holiness, and uses us, uses our lives. And we keep reading verse 18. For I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory. Thank you. That is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly or as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For it is this hope we were saved. Now hope that not or now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Skip ahead and read verses 31 through 39. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. I'll finish with this. So I think it's interesting. Romans 8 begins with there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. 
and it ends that there is with there is no separation, right? It says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, and in the middle there is no defeat. So my question for you this morning, my question that I hope that we all ask ourselves is, are we living in the spirit? Where is our heart? Where are we placing our sight? Where are we placing our hope? And again, this is not me trying to guilt trip you or, you know, just like get an emotional response out of you. But like, let's be genuine about our own condition. Let's be genuine about our own hearts on where we stand before Jesus Christ. Where are we before him? Are we still living in the flesh? Are we still slaves to sin? Because if that's the case, again, I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but here to tell you this morning that there is hope. Because there is peace, because there is no condemnation, because we have a choice in the matter, because of what Jesus did for us. On the other side of that, man, maybe you're here this morning and God has gotten you through so many things. You know, you have that peace. You've realized that there is no condemnation. You know, you're living fully for Jesus. And I encourage you to pour into others around us. You know, we need that. We need to see that. I think one of the biggest epiphanies or like aha moments that I had when it comes to being a believer was whenever I was at this church one Sunday morning. And it was just this pastor, really nice guy, great preacher. And he was just speaking and he was talking about his growth, right? How like he did not know Jesus, came to know Jesus. And then how God had been working in him, the spirit had been working in him. And his example was that like, because he was walking with Jesus so much on a daily basis, his temptations had changed. They were completely different from when he first started, right? There was this growth. There was this growth. There was this progressive sanctification, this progressive growth in his life. And he was, one example, he's like, well, like, I'm not tempted to cheat on my wife because, like, I love her and I value her. And I don't put myself in situations where that could even be, like, a thing at all. He's like, I'm not tempted to steal, like just all of these different things. He's like, but, and then he gave an example of they were having this men's conference and he said that he was on the stage and he looked out and he looked at uh, just everyone there and then it was packed and it was full. And he said that he was like, man, this is cool, Lord. I'm really excited that you're going to speak to all of these people like today. And then he said that he felt the Lord put on his heart, like, you don't think I'm going to speak to you too? Like, and that was pride. That was pride in his heart. The smallest thing, right? Like, not a bad sentiment. It wasn't a bad sentiment thinking like, oh, all these people are going to be spoken to by the Lord, by the word today. But the Lord pulled that out of his heart, like little tiny details. And I don't know exactly why, but that encouraged me so much knowing that, Man, there is room for growth. The things that I'm dealing with right now, God is going to remove from me. God is going to help me through. And then he's going to be pulling all these little fine details, right, until the day of Jesus Christ, like the Bible says, the Spirit's going to be working in me, or until the day I die. I'm never going to be perfect, but I'm going to grow. I'm going to be in a better place. I'm going to be in a place where I can help those around me. I'm going to be aware of my own sin. I'm going to be aware of my own life. I'm going to be honest with myself. And that's how we are aware of our sin. That is how we are aware of where we stand before Christ. That is how we live for Christ. And that's how we live in the spirit. 
and not in the flesh. But it all starts with being honest with ourselves and seeing where we stand before the Lord and praying, God, reveal the things in my heart that need to change. Reveal the things in my heart that you need to remove. Lord, bring people in my life that speak into me, that help guide me, that point me to you. I am very thankful for the friendships that I have made in my life because I would not be here today if it wasn't for them. And I know that, and I know that they were placed there by God. But man, I know if I am going through something right now, I can call my best friend up and be like, these are the thoughts that I'm having. You know, these are the desires of my heart and they shouldn't be there. And I know that I won't be judged. I know that they'll pray for me. I know that they'll be there for me. And as Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. As brothers and sisters, that's what we're supposed to do. And we should be able to trust the people around us. We should be the people that people are able to trust. That's the thing. It's both ways. There's such a balance to this, right? Like I said, it's not a freedom, like there's no condemnation. It's not the freedom to do as we please, to do whatever we want. But at the same time, it's not for us to feel guilty all the time of the things that we've been forgiven of. Because that's denying the power of what Jesus did on the cross. There's such a fine balance to all of this. But the fact is... <clears throat> That Jesus is, oh, I forget that I have water. I've been holding it. One second. The fact is that we do not have to do this alone. The battle has already been won. He's already defeated sin. He has defeated death. What do we have to fear, right? And like I said, when we surrender to Jesus... That's whenever we experience true freedom. Whenever we give everything to Christ, when we're most satisfied in him, when he is our everything, that's when we experience true freedom. That's when we live a fulfilled life. That's when we live a fulfilled Christian life is knowing that there is no condemnation because of what he did. And we can point others to Christ. We can help others to Christ. So like I said... Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I want that peace. I want to know that there is no condemnation. I want to know that I am living according to Jesus, according to the spirit and not the flesh. We're going to take some time to respond this morning. But if that's you, and like I said, there is peace. There is hope. Pray. Pray to Jesus. Take this time. Bring those sins, bring those struggles, bring those difficult things in your life that are so hard to let go. Bring them to the feet of Jesus and there's no condemnation. Maybe relationships that we have that have hurt us, that have scarred us, that are maybe still hurting us. Bring that to the feet of Christ. Bring that to Jesus. Sometimes whenever we are angry at someone, we receive that there's no condemnation for me, but God condemned them, right? But no, there's forgiveness for everyone. Jesus died for all of us. <clears throat> so again, maybe we're here. We've been living for Jesus. You've had your difficult times, but God has gotten you through. Be a testimony. Be open. Be vulnerable like Paul was. Pray for those who need it. Show them how good the Lord really is. Show them where he has brought you out of. And show them that he can do the same with them. Because, man, sometimes when you're 
<laughs> like when I was in that tunnel, sometimes when you are in the middle of it, sometimes when you are in the darkest moments of your life, it does not seem like you are going to make it out. It does not seem like there is an exit. It does not seem like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, it seems like you're making yourself, uh, making your way into a different tunnel and you just keep going, keep going, keep going. And sometimes we tend to ignore Jesus working in our lives. We, intend, we tend to ignore the Holy Spirit working in us. And sometimes we need someone to remind us. We should remind ourselves, but sometimes, man, a word of encouragement, a prayer, a hug, just being present there while they're going through something, we don't always have to have the exact words, right? Sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to be like, I'm going to use this scripture and I'm going to say this and that, and they're going to feel so much better immediately. Sometimes just being there with them, sitting there with them, letting them know that they're not alone makes a world of difference. Like I said, I don't know what you're going through today, but what I do know is that God is good, that Jesus is good, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I encourage you, pursue him, surrender everything to him today, tomorrow. I mean, preferably right now, this very second. But I know that sometimes some things are hard to let go. Some things are a process. But just bring that to God. Start the process today. Maybe you can't let go of everything in one single moment. But we can start. We can start that process. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying Him and making disciples who make disciples.